what we are going to, to see from the life of Paul himself is the dangers that he had to go through to endure in the course of serving Christ in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, because that is where we are, we are continuing from. In this chapter from verse 16, hopefully we will go through to the end of the chapter, we see Paul giving a catalog of very many problems that he was going through, but when you read it, you realize he is not willing to actually discuss these things. He is boasting of what he had gone through and he is forced to do that because Corinth and the church in Corinth had been invaded by false apostles who were claiming to be superior and who were discrediting Paul. And so since it was the gospel which was at stake, Paul had to take time. And what we see in this passage is a comparison that Paul makes between himself and these apostles, these false teachers. And so I would like us to read from verse 16, but remember that from verse 1 to 4, Paul is expressing his concern for the faithfulness of the Corinthians, the church in Corinth. And then from 5 to 15, he is comparing himself with the apostles. The fact that these ones were boasting of their learning and uh, discrediting Paul, maybe because he was uh, arguing probably that he did not have the, the necessary qualifications, and that is why he did not even charge for preaching the gospel. But that was not the case. In fact, Paul was proud that he did not he offered the gospel free of charge without changing. And he wasn't going to run away from boasting in, in the possession that he had taken. So let's take the reading from verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since men boast according to the flesh, I too will boast, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourself. For you bear if you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face, to my shame. I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often death. Five times 
I received at the hands of the Jews, the fourth lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all this, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is meant to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a widow in the wall and escaped his hands. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise your name for giving us this word. We thank you, Lord, for there is a purpose why so much ink and paper is devoted to the sufferings and the sacrifices that your, your servant Paul made in the course of the gospel. We pray, Lord God, that even as we look at this word, we will indeed be challenged and ask ourselves, what have we done? How much sacrifice have we made for Christ? who offered his life to die for us. Speak to us, Lord, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Paul is talking about his weaknesses. That is what he's saying he's going to boast about. I'm giving the title of this sermon as suffering for Christ and boasting about it. But what we see in this passage, as we look, as we will look at it, is the way Paul compares himself in three areas. The way he compares himself with the false apostles in three areas as the basis for three areas of comparison as the basis for his boasting. And the question that we need to ask is how does Paul compare with the false apostles in the exercise of authority? That is the first area, the exercise of authority. And we will get that one from verse 16 to the first part of verse 21. And then the other area is, is pedigree. We are talking about Paul's ethnicity or ancestry because these people were boasting that they were Jews and so on. How does Paul compare with that one, with, with the false apostles? 
in as far as his Jewish heritage is concerned. In the third area, which is given a lot of attention in this chapter, is what Paul and to endure in his service for Christ. How does that compare with these false apostles who had come and actually they were upsetting the church, bringing a false gospel? You remember in the previous chapter, I mean the previous passage, he actually describes them as agents of Satan because of their, the way they were approaching the, 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 the church, causing and rest in the church and, and being able to influence a big proportion of the people of the Corinthians to actually believe their false doctrine. And, and Paul uses very strong language when it comes to the way he is describing these people. And the reason why he is using such language and the approach that he is adopting because the strategy of boasting is foreign to him. If anything, as he has already told them in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul's appeal is to the meekness and gentleness of Christ. But here he is using the strategy that the false teachers were using in order to be able to... to, to to, to get the attention of the church in Corinth, which had been compelled to believe in these false apostles. Because what is at stake, as we have already seen from this, 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 this book, is the fact that if these people, if the church in Corinth, if the believers were carried away by the false apostles, what was at stake is the gospel, the very foundation that the power had built, and that is the, the message of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about weaknesses, and if we were to look, ask ourselves, what is it that one would consider to be a weakness? Maybe it's a health condition that probably is bothering you and frustrating you. Maybe you don't have a lot of money and there are very many things that you would like to do to accomplish if you had a little more, and that one could be your weakness. Or maybe a learning disability. You're not very quick in understanding what is being taught. Perhaps you may be in a career that makes it difficult for you to remain faithful to Christ, and you would consider that one to be a, dis, uh, a weakness. You may not be a good speaker, and, and, and if that is your case, then you are not the only one, because even Paul himself admits that he was not as eloquent as these uh, false apostles. What we need to remember is that even when we are weak, when we are aware of our weaknesses, we should remember that weak saints have a strong savior. And like Paul tells us in the next chapter, God's grace is sufficient 
for the weak saints. And God uses weak people to serve the church and to bear witness to the gospel of salvation. Just listen to what Paul tells these Corinthians in First Corinthians. He is reminding them of the approach that he used when he went to preach the gospel there in chapter 2. And when I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know anything. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive ones of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. For two years, Paul preached the gospel, but that was the kind of a person that he presented himself, and that church was established. And Corinth, of course, as we know, was a very wicked city. But thank God, in spite of the weaknesses of the apostle, Christ was exhorted because Paul was not preaching himself. He was preaching the message of the cross. And through that preaching, souls were saved and a church was established. But what we are seeing here is diversion from what from the foundation that was laid, the problem that was that the church in Corinth, the church in Corinth faced, and when you read all the, the epistles of, of of Paul, even the pastoral letters themselves, because even the pastoral letters are addressed, like the one to Timothy was dealing with some issues in in Ephesus, and Titus was dealing with problems in the churches in Crete. So when you read all of them, there are issues, there are problems. But the one which had the most difficult problems was the church in Corinth. And so the passage we're looking at this afternoon is going to show us the basis for Paul's boasting, even though he went through immense suffering. Three areas of comparison. The first one is the exercise of authority. Let's look at verse 16 again to 21. The first part of verse 21. This is what Paul says. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. 
foolish boasting. That is what Paul is talking about. But he is, he is, he is telling these people to just accept him. His normal approach is the meekness of Christ, meekness and the gentleness of Christ. But this time round, he is speaking the language that would be used by the false apostles. Paul doesn't want to defend himself at all, but he is left with no choice because he knows what is at stake. And therefore, he adopts this method to emphasize his point. And what he is telling the Corinthians is, don't be duped by these false teachers. Discern who is a real apostle, because the problem is discernment. So he is sharing his credentials. And as he does this, he is demonstrating how superficial these false teachers were and how shallow the Corinthians were by being impressed by the boasting of these teachers. Paul is uncomfortable with this strategy, though, because he admits it's not according to the Lord. And so he is taking this temporary approach so that he could at least be able to reach them. In fact, in verse 18, he is saying, boasting is, of, is in the flesh. When people boast in the flesh, it's to draw attention to themselves. And this is what is natural to us as human beings. But boasting in the Lord is unusual. Because we are all self-centered, we are selfish. We want to show ourselves, to display ourselves, to, to show others that we are superior. But that is not the case when it comes to boasting in the Lord, because there we will realize that we don't have anything to commend ourselves. We don't have anything, because everything that we have is from the Lord, and therefore, there is no room for boasting. Paul is telling the Corinthians in verse 20, you have listened to the boasting of the truly foolish. And obviously, that is a sarcastic rebuke when he tells them, you being wise, being so wise, you still bear with the foolish grandly. And so he is challenging them because of their failure to discern, to differentiate between what is the true, what is the truth from what is the error of these people. And verse 20 is the one which I would like us to look more closely. Let's read that verse again, verse 20. For you bear if someone makes slaves of you or diverts you, or takes advantage of you, or puts, you, puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. What is Paul saying? These false apostles are make, putting you into bondage. They are making you slaves. False teachers demanded a high degree of loyalty. And those who listen to them 
ended up becoming slaves to their rules and the regulations. And these rules and regulations did not have any biblical basis. The other area that's four points is the, the, the destruction that these people were bringing, causing to the church. He's saying, you bear with someone if he devours you. And that is what the false teachers were doing. They were actually taking advantage of them. That is the, the next, the other thing that Paul points out. These people were manipulative. They were exploiting the church, the, the Christians. They were using them for their own self, selfish interests and and what the purposes. Maybe they were telling these people what to do with their money. Maybe they were enriching themselves at the expense of the followers. And so when we look at it from that point of view, there is no difference between these false teachers with maybe those who describe themselves as, as, as prosperity preachers. The people who have a lot in some, some places, they are selling oil. And, and, and selling other paraphernalia so that you get out of your poverty if, if you are praying and uh, you, there's something you feel you like when you are, you are saying earlier on, maybe your weakness is you don't have enough money, and these people will tell you what to do in order to get more. And, and people are taking advantage of that, they give their money. There are those who sell prayers or blessings. And that is uh, obviously wrong, dis uh, wrong teaching. And that is probably what was happening in this church. People exploiting the believers, taking advantage of them. And then there is the issue of pride. You bear with someone when they put on airs. They are showing off. They, they, are, they are exhorting themselves. And the fifth one is interesting because he is, he is telling these people, you bear with someone if he strikes you in the face. And that one is very, very shameful. Remember when the Lord was telling people, if, if, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, let him slap you the other cheek also. And, and that slapping is taking place in public, and, and it's very embarrassing, very shameful. So these Corinthians were probably subjecting themselves to mis physical mistreatment by these false apostles. Not so long ago, there was a, a video showing a preacher in Uganda who was having a stick, and he was literally beating people. 
I don't know if even of you have seen that one. Beating small children. And people were just bearing with that. You can see the way that preacher was exercising authority. So what Paul is saying here probably took place. These people actually ended up slapping or striking the Corinthians on the face. Very shameful. But that was not the case. As we have already pointed out, Paul's ministry was characterized by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Instead of putting people into bondage, the gospel that Paul preached is the gospel that sets people free. Because the Lord Jesus Christ himself says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The gospel that Paul was preaching was the gospel that brought healing to the broken heartened. It was a gospel that was empowering people in the Lord instead of taking advantage of them. Paul himself displayed a humble, compassionate spirit that would elevate others. Isn't that what it tells the Philippians? And we've been reading the book of Philippians. In humility, count others better than yourselves. That was not the case with these uh, false apostles. It was embracing affection, embracing with affection instead of slapping in the face. And so what Paul is addressing here is the allegiance to Christ. That is the, what Paul demanded of the Corinthians. And that is why he uses such strong language. And so when you compare the exercise of authority by these false teachers with Paul, Paul himself says, to my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. So if we, we, we were to give points to the first apostles, even if you, you, you don't like this one and you decide to give them zero, you would give Paul a negative because he performed very, very poorly as far as this is concerned. He didn't exhort himself at all. That is why he is saying to my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. That was not Paul's approach. Let's look at the second area. What about his pedigree? We are talking about ethnicity or ancestry. And we get that one from the second part of verse 21 and verse 22. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also, I, I also dare to boast. Whatever else, not what we have seen in 
verse 21, verse 20, but whatever else here he is talking about, the thing, he, he goes into details, explains what he, is expli what he is talking about and what he is describing in verse 22 is to prove that, to show his impeccable Jewish roots. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. And the reason why Paul is bringing out this one is perhaps because these false teachers were Jews who pointed out to their pedigree, to their education, to their track record as evidence of being superior to Apostle Paul. And Paul is telling the Corinthians that he has the same qualifications as these false teachers. But he is aware that those qualifications is not really what mattered because as we have already seen, when he brought the gospel to them, he didn't refer to, to his education or his superior origin because that did not matter. Listen to what he tells the Philippians in chapter 3. For we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Even when else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That is Paul's record. That is what Paul could boast of in order to silence these ones. But if you read further in Philippians, he says, whatever I consider important, that is nothing for the surpassing worthy of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. So really, even though Paul is telling, this, telling us in this, this, this passage, this verse, verse 20, that he is as much of a Jew, as much of a Hebrew, a descendant of Abraham like these false teachers, still he doesn't put weight, give weight to that one. Because everything else amounts to seal, to, to, to nothing, to rubbish. That is how he puts it when he is writing to the Philippians. Why is this important? These people claim to be Hebrews. And that implies that one is from a Jewish family that lived in Israel and therefore a follower of God. It implies that one is able to read the Hebrew language and therefore able to read the Old Testament scriptures. And Paul is saying, even if these people are claiming to be Hebrews, he was just as much of a Hebrew as they were. These people also claimed to be Israelites. 
Israel, the name given to Jacob, or maybe people living in the land of Israel. Remember, Paul was from Tarsus, and so they could discredit him because he doesn't live in Israel. We need to realize that though Paul may not have been born in Israel, he was truly an Israelite who was part of the synagogue in Jerusalem. Paul understood and a well-known Sanhedrin teacher. And Paul was known for his zeal. That is what we have already learned from the Philippians as a persecutor of the church. Paul was every bit an Israelite as any of these false teachers could claim, if not more. And then you realize that these people also claimed to be descendants of Abraham. And when God called Abraham, he promised him that through him, God would save the world through, the, through, through his sin. His sinned. All the people of the earth would be blessed. And so it is important to claim to be part of that chosen race, God's chosen race, God's people. And that is what Paul is saying here. He is so very much of a Jew, just like, and a descendant of Abraham, just like these other false teachers were claiming. Paul's lineage was as good as any lineage that the false teachers could claim. I think when we look at the, the heritage, the Jewish heritage of Paul in comparison with these false teachers, that one, if we were to give marks, we would allocate those marks equally, Paul's course equally. We have seen that when it comes to this negative aspect of the false teachers, Paul doesn't score anything in that area. He's not one who was exploiting people. He's not one who was uh, put the, putting them in bondage. If anything, he preached the gospel freely, free of charge. But what? How does Paul compare in as far as the service of Christ, for Christ is concerned? What did Paul endure in his service for Christ? Here we are looking at the sufferings that Paul went through. And when you look at these sufferings, they are beyond comparison. I don't think there is anybody who endured as much suffering as Paul did. And when I started preparing, I was wondering, why, why has the Lord given us not just one chapter, but two chapters? Because chapter 11 and chapter 12 is giving a catalog of the sufferings that the apostle had to go through. Why has the Lord given us these things? What we need to remember is that even when the Lord saved him, 
when the Lord saved Paul, he actually said that he was going to, to go through suffering. Let's look at this passage again. Let's look at verse 23. He's saying, are they servants of Christ? And here Paul says, I am a better one. And then he goes on to give a catalog of his credentials as far as serving the Lord is concerned. I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors. You see the way he's describing that. It is not just enough to say with labors or with greater labors, but far greater labors, far more imprisonment, with countless beatings, often near death. And when you, look, you go at the end of that chapter, he's even calling God to be a witness that what he's saying is true. He's not exaggerating. What we are reading here is the truth of the sufferings that the apostle had to go through. And then in verse 24, he is listing giving specific details. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Forty lashes. When we read this passage from 22 to the end of the chapter, we realize the manifold external pressures that Paul had to go through. It's unimaginable. In fact, from verse 22, there are 28 hardships that he had to endure for the sake of Christ. And when you look at this list, it's diverse, it is comprehensive, it covers all of Paul's life. And this is what Paul experienced as a true apostle of Christ, a true minister of the gospel, a servant of Christ. But when he is describing, he says, I'm talking like I'm a mad man. He is not comfortable. Because that is not what he should be talking about. But you need to realize that he is addressing a, a problem in the church because a big portion of the believers in Corinth have been carried away by false teachers. And to draw their attention, he is talking so strongly. Talking like a man to man. So in verse 23, we have sufferings that were occurring. And that is why he's laying emphasis, far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often 
near death, not just once. Because if, for example, you are driving or you are crossing the road and a vehicle comes and you run off the road, that would be an, inst an, an, an incident where you are near death. Because if you didn't run in, out of the road in time, you would have been hit by the vehicle. But Paul was facing this perils very often. He is not talking just about imprisonments. He is talking about far more imprisonments. Not just labors, but far more labors. Not just beatings, but countless beatings, and often near, near death. These were not one-time occurrences. In fact, when you read this one, you realize it was as if it was Paul's daily menu as he went about preaching the gospel. He truly suffered quite a lot. And then verse 24 and 25, he is giving an account. He is giving an account of the sufferings, the kind of sufferings that he went through. He's talking about that nine lashes, less one lashes from the Jews. And not once, but five times. And the reason why they afford the last one is because the law in Deuteronomy 25, verse 3, allowed for no more than 40 lashes. And, and these people were very clever because they had created a law or interpreted this law themselves. They were saying if you exceed 40, then you will receive the 40 also. So they were very careful because you make a mistake, you beat a person more than 40 and, uh, and you end up also receiving the same number. But what we need to realize is these beatings were very, very intense and people actually could die as a result of this beating. But again, the 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 the, the law, which if if you 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 are imposing this punishment, and somebody dies as a result, and you have not exceeded the fault, then you are not guilty of killing someone. Paul is saying he endured that five times, not just once. And this is not new because when the Lord himself was sending out his disciples in Matthew 10, this is what we read in verse 17 and 18. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So this is not new. At least this is what the disciples of Christ were to expect. 
and power and to bear it five times before the Jews, his own countrymen. Three times, in verse 25, he says three times, he was beaten with rods. That kind of punishment is a Roman type of punishment. Stiff instruments that would inflict a lot of pain were used. In fact, when somebody was being, being flogged, they were using a whip with some, some, some metal object so that when it goes through the back, it would leave wounds. That was the kind of punishment that the Romans were inflicting, and somebody would literally die as a result of that kind of beating. Three times, Paul and to do that. And then he was stoned once. That one is recorded in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, where Paul was left for dead. But by God's grace, he actually, it was a miracle that even after stoning, and when, 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 when we are talking about stoning, it's not small stones, it's not small pebbles, it's rocks, huge, huge stones, so that somebody could actually be left for dead, because that is what, what, what happened to Paul, he was left for dead. But thank God, his ministry was just starting, because if we are in Acts 14, it was, early in his uh, missionary journeys. And then he is telling us he was shipwrecked three times. And this, again, was a, a, as a result of his travels in preaching the gospel. There was no other way Paul could move from, from Palestine to Asia Minor, to, 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 to Cyprus, to Greece, without going through the sea. And it wasn't safe. Terrifying journeys. It was a terrifying experience. Of course, you read that kind of experience in Acts 27. But remember, as we are looking at this letter in, in uh, this letter to the Corinthians, Acts 27 has not yet occurred. So if, if maybe there was other, other shipwrecks, and if there were no other shipwrecks, the, the one recorded in Acts 27 would be a fourth one. And so those are details that Paul is giving us about the sufferings that he went through. Let's also look at the dangerous situations that Paul found himself, because that is what he is describing in verse 26. He is describing five dangers. Verse 26, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger to sea, danger from force, 
brothers. That is the kind of life that Paul was experiencing. His own kinsmen, there's a lot of that which is recorded in, in the book of Acts, like in chapter 9, where, which he refers to later on, when, he to ask, to, when the Jews wanted to kill him. Acts tells us it was the Jews who wanted to kill him. But it looks like they had gotten the attention of the king who, who, who had assigned a governor to watch over the city, over the gates of the city, so that they could arrest Paul and put him to death. Danger from the Gentiles. Remember the unrests recorded in Acts 19 or even when he was put in prison at Philippi itself after being beaten. So Paul was not safe anywhere. He was facing danger constantly. He was everywhere he went he faced constant danger in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea. There wasn't any place which was comfortable for the apostle. From verse 27, he's talking about the toils. In toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure physical suffering due to his calling as a minister of the gospel. Remember Paul, in many cases, and to work to support his ministry. That is what we read. That's what we have already seen in this church itself, in this letter itself, where he had to work to support his ministry. And even when he was in Thessalonica, he was doing the same. That's why he challenges them to work. And, and since he was, he realized, since his primary task, since the Lord saved him, was to preach the gospel as an apostle to the Gentiles, being constant, constantly on, on the move. Obviously, it was not even easy for him to settle down and use his hands because he, the trade that he, and he, 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 he was engaged in, in was tent making. And when you're on the move, you, you, you cannot do that. And that's why we find him saying that he was without the basic necessities, often without the basic necessities. It is like food and shelter and even clothing. But the super apostles would never have boasted of such physical deprivations. Paul is pointing at these sufferings as his credibility for his ministry. He is highlighting these weaknesses. He is bringing out these ones and saying they are his weaknesses so that he can put his trust in God because weaknesses 
show us our dependence upon God instead of trusting our own arms, our own strength, so that God's power can be perfected in our weaknesses. That is what Paul tells us in the next chapter. And as a result, all glory would be to God. So those are physical sufferings, persecutions, everywhere, so many of them. But that is not all, because from verse 28 and 29, Paul is considering, is telling us, he's talking about a pressure which is even heavier than the external pressure that he was facing. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He's saying on top of all this, on top of all this list of sufferings, there is the daily pressure. His concern for the church was great. And this is what was even more important. This is what weighed him most. In fact, when you, you look at, at the, the two letters that he wrote to the Corinthians, and remember, not just two, he wrote four letters actually to the Corinthians. Only two are part of the scripture, but there were others. And sometimes he had to, he had to send his colleagues, he had to make short trips there. And sometimes when he went there, he was misunderstood. Some said his letter, letters were so strict. And that is what was really his concern. Because when you read the two letters to the Corinthians, they are expressing the concern, the deep concern that the apostle had for this church. But it is not only this, these letters, but also the other letters that he writes. In fact, all the letters, when you read all of them, there is always this concern he had for the church, for the believers. And that is what was of great concern to him. When he is talking about anxiety here, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He is not talking about the kind of anxiety that the Lord Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6. Or even the anxiety that he addresses when he is talking about telling the Philippians, don't be anxious but by prayer and supplication. He is talking about the concern that he had for, for the church, the spiritual concern for others. Paul was empathizing with the struggles that others, other believers were facing, the problems that the churches were experiencing. He identified with their spiritual struggles. And that is why in verse 29 he asks, Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is meant to fall and I am not indignant? Paul was very much affected by what was happening in these churches. 
You read the letter to the Galatians. There was the problem of legalism and accepting another gospel. You look at Colossians, and even there, there was false teaching, and Paul was addressing that one. Listen to what he tells the Galatians in chapter 4. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of your child, but until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This morning we learned, not this morning actually, but this afternoon, we learned Philippians chapter 4. And when you read the book of Philippians, you, you might think that this is the church where there were no problems because this, the subject of joy is the, the theme of the book. Joy is the theme of the, the book of Philippians. But what did we read? Verse 2 of chapter 4. I entreat you, dear, and I entreat Sentake to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. There was a problem with these two ladies, and that problem was affecting the apostle. He was touched, and that is why he is encouraging. Yes, he is telling them to rejoice, but he is telling the church, Please deal with these problems because they are affecting the, they would be taking away the joy. That's the true joy that would be there. Also, still when he's talking to the Philippians in chapter 2, and when we read this one again, I want you to see the concern that Paul had. Chapter 2, verse 25 to that, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphrodite as my brother, and fellow work, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he, was, he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and the honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So even there you can see the concern that he had for this church. And when he is writing to Timothy, you read the, 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 the first epistle, for example, to Timothy, and even to Titus. And we like reading those ones when we are making appointments in this church because Paul has given us the basis upon which church leaders should be appointed. But you need to realize that those instructions were being given 
You want to raise a problem that was there in the church. And that is why there is that emphasis. Also, when he is uh, talking to Timothy, especially 2 Timothy, he was concerned about his youthfulness. He was concerned about his health. Somewhere he tells him, take a little wine because of your stomach's sake. Something that appears to be so, so minor, but the health of Titus was a concern for Paul. And as we have, we have already noted in this, this book, the, the, the Corinthians, that is where there was the biggest problem and the biggest concern. Even when you look at the, the letters to the Salonians, those ones, their problem was fanatical preoccupation with the return of Christ. And so, the epistles of Paul, they are scripture, but they were also dealing with issues and problems, issues that were of concern to the apostle. In fact, when you look at, at those letters, it is Paul was a pastor, not of one church, but of many churches. And each of these churches, because churches are made up of human beings, even if we are believers and we are saved, still we find ourselves quarreling and fighting with one another. And that's why in some of those, those letters, you read the Ephesians is telling them to, to take care of their communication and, 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 and the way they, they address one another. Each of them, besides dealing with doctrine, was also dealing with other issues that were of concern. Paul was very much affected. He was feeling the pressure and the stress that went along with the ministry that the Lord had given him. We have looked at the sufferings that, uh, that, that the apostle went through, but I would like us to spend, to look at a few thoughts regarding these sufferings. Paul's sufferings point to the great sacrifice, personal sacrifice that he made in the course of and advancing the gospel of Christ. Paul was selfless, and he paid a very high price for the privilege of proclaiming the gospel. But we need to realize that is what the Lord and saints. You look at Acts 9, verse 15 and 16, and this was addressed to Ananias because Ananias was reluctant to go and and pray with Paul so that he could receive his sight. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That was what we see here. And that was fulfilled, actually. Paul suffered a lot. Also, when you look at this list of Paul's suffering, 
it is more expensive compared to what is recorded in the book of Acts. And we need to realize that what we have in the book of Acts as far as Paul's sufferings is what goes up to chapter 20 of Acts. So whatever suffering you're reading in the book of Acts from chapter 20 onwards, like the arrest in Jerusalem, then defense before his own people in Acts 22, and before the Sanhedrin in, in Acts 23, before Felix in Acts 24, before Festus in Acts 25, and before Agrippa in Acts 25 and 26, and eventually appealing to Caesar and ending up in Rome. All, all of that, this imprisonment in Rome has not yet taken place when Paul is writing this letter. So the list that he has given us in 2 in, in Corinthians 11 is not yet complete. More sufferings were before Paul. We also need to realize that the sufferings that Paul went through encompasses the whole spectrum of sufferings and hardships. It's very extensive. Labors, beatings, imprisonments, dangerous situations, exposure to the physical elements, deprivations like uh, going hungry, feeling cold and so on, without shelter, without sleep. It also includes the mental anguish and the spiritual burden that he bore because of the sins. As he identified himself with the weaknesses of the sins and even their sins affected him. The other thing that we need to realize is these sufferings that poor experience are not unique to Paul. There are those sufferings that every Christian should expect. So when you think about what Paul had to go through, ask yourself, why has the Lord saved you, protected you, and yet not allowed you to go through this kind of suffering? because that is what every Christian should expect. Suffering and adversity are a part of the process of our sanctification. This is what Paul says in Acts 14, verse 21 and 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. But when you look at Paul's sufferings again, he considers them to be a light and a momentary. Sometimes back, we, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 and 16. This is what Paul says. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And then he goes on. And that towards the end, he says, for moment, momentary light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 
In other words, Paul was not preoccupied with the sufferings that he went through. He was looking forward to the crown of glory that he was going to receive from the Lord. That was his goal. And as a result, he could sail through these sufferings without compromising. The other thing that we need to realize is Paul rejoices in his suffering because these sufferings are the evidences of his identification with Christ. We looked at um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, this is what he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And in Colossians 1, verse 24 and 29, this is what Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And for this purpose, also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. I think when Paul wrote the Colossians and the Ephesians and even the Philippians, he was in prison in Rome, the first imprisonment. As we, we, we read about it in Acts chapter 28, because for two years, he was allowed to be in his own apartment, still a prison and a guard, but allowed to have visitors. Later on, of course, that freedom was denied because he was put in prison again. And when you read Second Timothy, Paul did not see himself being set free. We have looked at Paul's sufferings. I don't know what comes to your mind when you read Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 37. This is what Paul says, and we have read this one many times. Pastor Murong is preaching through, through Romans, and he, is, he will preach one time at, on this verse. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation? or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or, or so on, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans was written more or less around the same time when Paul was writing 2 Corinthians. And so when Paul is talking about tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and so on, he is actually sharing the things that he had gone through, as we have seen from 2 Corinthians 11. Because when we read that passage, we might think that those are things that can happen 
But to Paul, it was a real experience, a near-death experience. When he says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long, even though he is quoting the Old Testament, it was a reality to him. He was always constantly in danger. Near-death incidences, even the beatings as we have already seen, that was part of his experience. But he says, in all those things, we are more than conquerors. Let's look at the last part of this, chapter, this passage where Paul is sharing a memorable incident. He is boasting in his weaknesses because he says in, in verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. Because that is where the ministry lies. That's where the ministry be, begins. Paul is saying, I am powerless to change our hearts. But the gospel is able to do that. And in verse 31, he is appealing to God. To God to attest to the truthfulness of what he has said so far. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. Paul is saying, God knows my heart. He knows my integrity. And then he gives us an example of deliverance from a hopeless situation. That's why he is taking us to that example in Damascus, which is recorded in Acts chapter 9. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damas Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a widow in the war and escaped his hands. Maybe that was Paul's first taste of persecution. Remember when he was going to Damascus, he had letters from the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem so that he could go and arrest believers there and drag them to Jerusalem in chains. But on his way, he met the Lord and he was transformed. He was a different man. He was brought to his knees. He surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And from that moment, he had the taste of the suffering sufferings that the Lord and saint he would go through. So that is the incidence that Paul is bringing about. That is what he is showing us his weakness. When he was coming to the city, he was coming with a lot of courage. But when he was leaving the city, very shameful departure because he was lowered in a basket, a huge basket that could carry him without being noticed through a window. A terrible experience, a memorable incident which was with him throughout his life. And so that is what he is saying, that is what he can boast about. When Paul 
approached Damascus. He was a persecutor of Christians. But now he is telling us that when he was escaping, going away from Damascus, he was running away from persecution. He became the target of what he himself was going to do. To run away so that he could not lose his life. We have already looked at Acts 9, verse 15 and 16, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So that Paul is referring to the facetist of suffering for Christ. But what we need to realize is, even though there is human weakness, still God's purpose for his church will prevail. Remember when Paul was going to, Corinth, to, 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 to Damascus, he was going to destroy the church. His attempts to kill the church were fruitless. Just as the attempts by the Jews to kill Paul ended up also being fruitless. And we should give glory to the Lord because he is building his church against all threats. And there isn't none that is going to prevail. The Lord uses weak servants. When you think about this scene in Damascus, where Paul and to be lowered in a basket to escape. That is not the only incident where people are lowered in a basket. We have a similar instance in Joshua. The spies whom Joshua sent, Rahab, and to assist them, hide them first, and then lowering them through the, the window so that they could escape. That is not also the only instance because even David himself, when King Saul wanted to kill him, Micah, Saul's daughter, again helped him to, to escape. And so it, it is, it, it's not, not the first as such. We have these incidences where we see human weakness, but the Lord still using human weak, weakness to bring glory to his name. Even as we conclude, I want you to think about this question. What sacrifice have you made in your service for Christ? This passage gives us a glimpse of the life of Paul and the sacrifices that he made in the service of the Lord. So even as we have considered Paul's uh, sufferings, and we are not doing that so that we feel guilty that we have not gone through such, because we will never. The Lord will not allow us to go through such sufferings. 
But still, we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we learn from Paul's experience? The first thing that I would like us to consider is the way we evaluate success. We, we, we don't have to evaluate success the way the world does. When we are evaluating teachers, we need to be careful to consider not only their credentials, but also the content of their lives. Because that was the problem in Corinth. Those people were boasting of what they have, their, their resume, but their life was different. They were exploiters, as we have already seen. They were bringing these people into bondage. So we need to guard against those who are more concerned about building their lives instead of building the lives of others through the gospel. Those who distort the Bible for their own interests. Because when we allow ourselves to be influenced by such teachers, most likely we are going to be drawn away from the Lord like it was happening in Corinth. The other thing that we learn from Paul's experience is endurance. The Bible study in the morning was on patience. The endurance is related to patience. As believers, we will suffer in one way or another, but the Lord expects us to endure to the end. We must be willing to suffer for the Lord, irrespective of the circumstances that we might go through. And then there is the encouragement from this passage and even the next chapter. Because when we find ourselves in a situation like Paul was, extreme persecution and weakness, that is when he learned to trust the Lord. That's when the grace of God was working in his life, in his weaknesses. That's when he learned to depend on God, not on his strength, but on God. Paul knew that what saved what God used to bring salvation is not the beatings that he went through, that he had to endure, but the way that he served, or the people that he had influenced. Because salvation is of the Lord. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who saved. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who paid the ultimate price for our salvation when he died on the cross. So we are saved by the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But still the question remains, what sacrifices can we make in our service for Christ. They would like us to meditate on verse 27. Paul says, In toil and hardship, 
through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Those are situations which are very difficult because, uh, as we, we saw earlier on, it, it is what was more characteristic of his life. We find ourselves in very challenging times from an economic point of view. And maybe that is why even in the church itself, we are experiencing challenges in meeting our financial obligations. But we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we can do from a personal point of view? What is it that we can sacrifice so that we can give for the work of the ministry? We may not be able to to go out to support those who are in the ministry. If Paul could uh, experience hunger and thirst, what would happen if, for example, one were, in a week we were to, to sacrifice a meal? What would happen if instead of Traveling by, by, by Hoover, you decide to, to take a matato, or if it is convenient for you to walk, you, you decide to walk so that you can, you, you, you will be able to save something so that you can, you can give for the work of ministry because the ministry depends upon what we are able to give. The country is experiencing a very difficult situation. We have a brethren in some parts of the country, like in Mazabit, who are experiencing real challenges. What is it that we can do? What is it that we can sacrifice in order to be able to, to help? We thank God for the leaders he has given us in this church, especially the pastors who are the ministers of the gospel in our church. Not so long ago, we had the honor of setting aside two elders in addition to the three who are there. So we have five ministers of this church, this church, and perhaps the new church in Ruiru. And of course, the, the pastors have the concern over, over the other churches that are associated with our church. But still, there is a challenge. When our pastors compare the burden that the Lord has placed on them with the responsibility that Paul that the Lord had placed on Paul, obviously there is no comparison because Paul was a pastor not of just one church but very many churches. When he is writing to the, to, to, to the Galatians, it wasn't just one church, it was many churches. So even if we have 
a number of letters. There were other letters addressed to different churches, and all of those churches were of concern. So what, what I'm telling our pastors is to or asking them is how much of your time are you giving to the care of the flock that the Lord has placed under your hands? And then to those who are not saved, The Lord is telling you to look to Christ alone because he's the one who is the savior of sinners. Only Christ can save you. Put your trust on him who died and rose again. Flee to him. All of us have a challenge before us. We are called to suffer for Christ, but we have not really suffered when we look at the suffering that the Apostle Paul had to go through. We thank God for that. He has protected us. There are brethren in some countries who experience a lot more suffering where the gospel does, is not freely preached, where if you become a Christian, you risk your life, you can be killed. But we thank God for our country. But still, it's very easy for us when we are in a country where there is so much freedom to compromise. Let's be willing to give our best for the Lord who gave his life for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We pray that we may be willing to offer ourselves, present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Lord, when you say, you, 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 you tell us to carry our cross, we know the cross leads to the death of self. Lord, when we're willing to die, that is when we will truly live. So help us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name.